there listening. Not that you could endure God's voice, far from it, but listen to the voice of the wind and the ceaseless message that forms itself out of silence. It is murmuring toward you now from those who died young. Didn't their fate, whenever you stepped into a church in Naples or Rome, quietly come to address you? Or high up some eulogy entrusted you with a mission? as last year on the plaque in Santa Maria Formosa. What they want of me is that I gently remove the appearance of injustice about their death, which at times slightly hinders their soul from proceeding onward. Of course, it is strange to inhabit the earth no longer, to give up customs one barely had time to learn, not to see roses and other promising things in terms of a human future, no longer to be what one was in infinitely anxious hands, to leave even one's own first name behind, forgetting it as easily as a child abandons a broken toy. Strange to no longer desire one's desires, strange to see meanings that clung together once, floating away in every direction, and being dead is hard work and full of retrieval before one can gradually feel a trace of eternity. Though the living are wrong to believe in the two sharp distinctions which they themselves have created. Angels, they say, don't know whether it is the living they are moving among or the dead. The eternal torrent whirls all ages along in it through both realms forever and their voices are drowned out in its thunderous roar. In the end, those who are carried off early no longer need us. They are weaned from earth's sorrows and joys as gently as children outgrow the soft breasts of their mothers. But we who do need such great mysteries, we for whom grief is so often the source of our spirit's growth, could we exist without them? Is the legend meaningless that tells how in the lament for Linus the daring first notes of song pierced through the barren numbness. And then in the startled space which a youth as lovely as a god had suddenly left forever, the void felt for the first time that harmony which now enraptures and comforts and helps us. The Second Elegy Every angel is terrifying, and yet Alas, I invoke you, almost deadly birds of the soul, knowing about you. Where are the days of Tobias, when one of you, veiling his radiance, stood at the front door, slightly disguised for the journey, no longer appalling, a young man like the one who curiously peeked through the window? But if the archangel now, perilous from behind the stars, took even one step down toward us, our own heart beating higher and higher would beat us to death. Who are you? Early successes, creation's pampered favorites, mountain ranges, peaks growing red in the dawn of all beginning, pollen of the flowering godhead, joints of pure light, corridors, stairways, thrones, Space formed from essence, shields made of ecstasy, storms of emotion whirled into rapture, and suddenly, alone, mirrors, 
which scoop up the beauty that has streamed from their face and gather it back into themselves entire. But we, when moved by deep feeling, evaporate. We breathe ourselves out and away. From moment to moment our emotion grows fainter, like a perfume. Though someone may tell us, Yes, you've entered my bloodstream, the room, the whole springtime is filled with you. What does it matter? He can't contain us. We vanish inside him and around him. And those who are beautiful, oh, who can retain them? Appearance ceaselessly rises in their face and is gone. Like dew from the morning grass, what is ours floats into the air, like steam from a dish of hot food. Oh, smile, where are you going? Oh, upturned glance, new, warm, receding wave on the sea of the heart. Alas, but that is what we are. Does the infinite space we dissolve into taste of us then? Do the angels really reabsorb only the radiance that streamed out from themselves? Or sometimes, as if by an oversight, is there a trace of our essence in it as well? Are we mixed in with their features even as slightly as that vague look in the faces of pregnant women? They do not notice it. How could they notice in their swirling return to themselves? Lovers, if they knew how, might utter strange, marvelous words in the night air, for it seems that everything hides us. Look, trees do exist. The houses that we live in still stand. We alone fly past all things, as fugitive as the wind. And all things conspire to keep silent about us, half out of shame, perhaps, half as unutterable hope. Lovers, gratified in each other, I am asking you about us. You hold each other. Where is your proof? Look, sometimes I find that my hands have become aware of each other, or that my time-worn face shelters itself inside them. That gives me a slight sensation. But who would dare to exist just for that? You, though, who in the other's passion grow until overwhelmed, he begs you, no more. You who beneath his hands swell with abundance like autumn grapes. You who may disappear because the other has wholly emerged. I am asking you about us. I know. You touch so blissfully because the caress preserves. Because the place you so tenderly cover does not vanish. Because underneath it you feel pure duration. So you promise eternity, almost, from the embrace. And yet... When you have survived the terror of the first glances, the longing at the window, and the first walk together once only through the garden, lovers, are you the same? When you lift yourselves up to each other's mouth and your lips join, drink against drink, oh, how strangely each drinker seeps away from his action. Weren't you astonished by the caution of human gestures on attic gravestones. Wasn't love and departure placed so gently on shoulders that it seemed to be made of a different substance than in our world? Remember the hands, how weightlessly they rest, though there is power in the torsos. These self-mastered figures know we can go this far. This is ours, to touch one another this lightly. The gods can press down harder upon us. 
but that is the God's affair. If only we too could discover a pure, contained, human place, our own strip of fruit-bearing soil between river and rock, for our own heart always exceeds us, as theirs did, and we can no longer follow it, gazing into images that soothe it, or into the godlike bodies, where measured more greatly, it achieves a greater repose. The Third Elegy It is one thing to sing the Beloved, another, alas, to invoke that hidden, guilty river-god of the blood. Her young lover, whom she knows from far away, what does he know of the Lord of Desire, who often, up from the depths of his solitude, even before she could soothe him, and as though she didn't exist, held up his head, ah, dripping with the unknown, erect, and summoned the night to an endless uproar. Oh, the Neptune inside our blood, with his appalling trident! Oh, the dark wind from his breast out of that spiraled conch! Listen to the night as it makes itself hollow. Oh, stars, isn't it from you that the lover's desire for the face of his beloved arises? Doesn't his secret insight into her pure features come from the pure constellations? Not you, his mother. Alas, you were not the one who bent the arch of his eyebrows into such expectation. Not for you, girl so aware of him, not for your mouth did his lips curve themselves into a more fruitful expression. Do you really think that your gentle steps could have shaken him with such violence, you who move like the morning breeze? Yes.